If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 18. That's where we're going to be in our Bible study time. Make sure you take your notes out of your bulletin so you can follow along. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. They've got a Bible that you can use. They've got a Bible that you can have if you want one. So if you want a Bible, we're going to read 18 verses today, and then we'll click over to 1 Corinthians and read 9 verses. So it'd be good to have one on your lap. Um, So if you need a Bible, just wave at our ushers. If you forgot yours, you can put this on the table when you leave. If you don't have one, keep this. Put your name in it, make this your Bible, um, and bring it back next week when, uh, when you come. We've given away more than a thousand Bibles since our church started just like this. So this is our gift to you, and we want you to bring it back, because every Sunday we're going to open the Bible, and we're going to study the Bible. And last Sunday we were in Acts chapter 16, and we were talking about the power of partnership. We were showing how Christianity cannot be lived without Christian friendships, without Christian partnerships. We talked about the importance of small groups, um, and you heard Jamie announce test drives and um, and we want you to like them more than he said you might like them. And even if it's not your thing, we want you to go because we believe that's very important spiritually, according to what we said um, last week. I, Jamie sat down. I said, that was a great welcome. He said, don't you love how you paint yourself into a corner and you don't know what you're supposed to say and say, hey, it, ha- it happens um, to all of us. But we talked last week about how critical... Christian friendships are. And as I say that, he walks back in laughing to the back. Sorry, sorry for throwing you under the bus, James. Um, in Acts chapter 18, we pick up the story. We left off in a Philippian jail. Paul and his friend Silas were in jail. There was a massive earthquake. They were kind of set free. We saw that friends bring great enjoyment. They make good times better. They make bad times bearable. Um, But as Paul finished the missionary journey that he was on, he went to a few more cities. We find him in Acts chapter 18, um, finally going to another city that we will know in scripture as Corinth. And here's what we pick up in Corinth today as we jump into our Bible study, verses 1 through 18, it says, after this, so after the missionary journey, we, we drop Paul in Philippi. I'll catch you up in a minute on what this means. After this, after this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who'd recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Those are non-Jewish people. Verse 7, then Paul left the synagogue and he went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, Crispus, the synagogue leader in his entire household, believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and they were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking and don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack or or harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth brought a united attack on Paul, and they brought him to the place of judgment. This man they charged is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak. 
Gallius said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about your words and names and your own law, settle them out of yourselves. I won't be judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and they beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Let's stop right there. Now, next week, we're going to meet Priscilla and Aquila. Maybe the most important woman in the first century church was a woman named Priscilla that we're going to meet next week. Uh, And I'm going to show you why women have always been important in the church and why they're going to have great leadership positions in our church because of some of these people Paul mentored and used in ministry. But that'll be next week. Um, Today, I want to talk to you about a Bible study that I had originally termed more than milk. And really, it's, it's going to take me a while to get to what I want to say today because the message that I had planned to give got interrupted as I began to study Scripture a little bit. And all that I can say is every time this happens to me, every time I plan to teach one thing and God kind of brings something else to the surface, there's always at least one person in the auditorium that needed to hear that, and God has a special message for them. So maybe you are the person that God kind of derailed today's Bible study for because he's got a message for you that you need to hear. I'll get to the teaching point on more than milk and talk about spiritual development, spiritual maturity in a minute. But to get there, we're going to have to go through Acts chapter 18 verses 1 through 18. And here's the first thing that you need to see. Number one, the transition verse of Acts 18.1 is packed with ministry. It's one that the vast majority of time we would skip because if you read it, it's not a mind-blowing verse. Look at Acts chapter 18, verse 1. No one reads this and says, wow, I needed that. It says this, after this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. Praise God, right? I mean, it's like, (laughs) who who cares? Um, it's It's a transition verse. And if you just read the verse, there's not much in that. But if you read the story that leads to that verse. This verse is packed with ministry. This wasn't a point that I planned on teaching, but God showed me this this week. He said, Christian, there's someone living in Acts 18.1. Because as we read through what happened to the Apostle Paul between Philippians 16 and today, Paul had a devastating end to his second missionary journey, both physically and emotionally. Paul probably had his worst stretch of ministry and life ever leading into Acts 18.1. And if we pick up last week in Acts 16.26, I don't want you to turn there, but in Acts 16.26, Paul was in prison and an earthquake so powerful hit Philippi that literally it destroyed the jailhouse where he was. Certainly many people in the town would have been killed. Many buildings would have collapsed completely. Paul was able to get out of jail. Probably he was somewhat physically harmed as he left jail. And he left Philippi after being in jail, after surviving a massive earthquake. He went to the town of Thessalonica to try to plant a church and he got physically beaten and driven out of the town of Thessalonica before he could set up a church. He then went to a town called Berea and he tried to teach them who Jesus was and the people from Thessalonica followed him there. They physically beat him in Berea until he had to leave the town and he ended up in Athens by himself. He left 
Silas and Timothy as partners. He said, you stay in Philippi. I'm going to go start new churches. And after not being able to start a church in Thessalonica, after not being able to start a church in the next town of Berea, he went to Athens, which Athens, Greece still stands today. It was basically the, the center of the Stoic philosopher world that knew how to think. And he got up and he gave a sermon that everyone laughed at. And he said, you're crazy. Get out of town. He literally had experienced his greatest ministry failure of his life. And we know from measuring the distance that the trip from Athens to Corinth was a 53-mile walk. And Paul was alone at this point in his ministry for the first and only time in all of Scripture. A wounded man probably would have walked somewhere between 5 to 10 miles a day on this journey. So Paul in Acts 18.1, had the loneliest week of his life as he physically was trying to heal, as he emotionally was trying to heal, as he was trying to figure out ministry because he got up and he gave the sermon that he always gave and instead of people responding to Jesus, they all laughed at him. Paul had a week to try to figure out if this thing was still for him and if you read what he later wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2, 3, when Paul wrote a letter, Paul said, remember how I was when I got to Corinth? Here's what he said about himself. He said, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. Last three towns I'd been in, they beat me up and kicked me out. The last sermon I preached, everyone laughed at. And he said, man, I got to Corinth and I was, I was licking my wounds. I was hurting when I showed up, Acts 18, 1. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 7, we think that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of 1 Thessalonians while he was in Corinth. And here's what he told the church at 1 Thessalonians about his mental state when he arrived in Corinth. He said, therefore, brothers and sisters, in all of our distress and our persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. This 53-mile walk all by himself showed us an Apostle Paul who was lonely, showed us an Apostle Paul who was discouraged, showed us an Apostle Paul who was in physical pain. Counselors will tell you that if you're discouraged and you have physical pain on top of it, that physical pain is the fastest thing that moves discouragement to depression. Because when your body hurts, in addition to your spirit hurting, you just don't even want to get out of bed. That's where Paul was. And he was coming off a ministry loss wondering maybe if, if it didn't work anymore. After this. Maybe today is your after this. And I don't know what your this is. But maybe you walked into church today coming off a string of failures. Coming off a string of pain. Coming off a... A, a series or a season of discouragement and disappointment. Maybe you're sitting in here today emotionally tired and physically in pain and it was all you could do to even get to church today. Maybe you're coming off a string of broken relationships or you've just lost your job or the unemployment is just clipped into another month. And maybe after all that, you found yourself today at Journey Church International. That's Acts 18.1. After this... Paul showed up in Corinth. I don't know what your this is, but I know after this, if you connect to Jesus and his people, life changes, it heals, it gets better. And we're gonna see that happen in the life of the apostle Paul. Acts 18.1, we want to blow by, but we shouldn't. 
because it's packed with ministry. Number two, here's what we see after, after this. Here's what we see after this in Acts 18.1. We see the answer to spiritual restoration after a difficult season in our life. It's relationships with other Christians if we are a Christian. The thing that helps begin to put our life back together after a difficult season, after this, is getting into strong, healthy relationships with other Christians. I was at a, at a conference several years ago with a pastor named Rick Warren in California who had studied all the great awakenings, the spiritual great awakenings that had happened since the church had launched. And he said the first two steps of every great awakening were one, people having a greater realization of God in their own life, and two, people beginning to interact with like-minded people spiritually. Those were the first two steps of any great spiritual awakening. People in their heart developing an awareness of God and people in their life beginning to socialize with people who had that same awareness. From there, things took off spiritually. We find out the exact same thing happens with the Apostle Paul. Look at, first, look at Acts chapter 18, verses 2 through 5. Because we see Paul limps into Corinth physically, emotionally, spiritually, according to his own words in 1 Corinthians 2, 3 and 1 first, Thessalonians. But here's what happens. He gets to Corinth, verse 2, and it says, There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because of Claudius, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. And look what happened. After he began to spend time with people, he began to heal. Verse 4, and it says, Every Sabbath, he started doing ministry again. He reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and the Greeks. As we read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and then we read Acts 18, 1, and we kind of overlay them together, what we find out is that Paul didn't get back up on what I call his ministry feet. Paul didn't get back up and start ministering again until his life was filled again with strong spiritual relationships. And some of you are in here, and you have limped in here today. You've, you've come off a spiritual season where you are limping spiritually through life and into church and, and you're getting inspired a little bit to get back up on your ministry feet, to start teaching Sunday school again, to start volunteering in the nursery again, to be an usher again, to get engaged in the choir again, to do the things that you used to do before you were wounded spiritually. But the thing that's going to help you kind of stand back up on your feet spiritually is getting engaged in strong Christian relationships. And Paul had this with this couple that were named Aquila and Priscilla. They're mentioned six times in the New Testament, four times her name is mentioned first, Priscilla and Aquila, because she had the more prominent role of service. Again, next week I'm gonna to talk to you about how important the ladies in our church are and their spiritual leadership to what we wanna do in our community. But it wasn't just about relationships, it was about reasoning. It says that every Sabbath Paul went into the synagogues and he reasoned. This word reason means to teach and learn through dialogue and discussion. Paul's spiritual strategy, I began talking to you about this last week, not just the reality of the New Testament, but the strategy of the New Testament is that Christians would learn and grow spiritually with other people. And the Apostle Paul said you're going to learn and grow mentally and intellectually spiritually through dialogue and discussion, not just learning. Do you know studies have been done that teach us how we learn, how we remember things? Do you know that we remember 10% of what we read? We remember 20% of what we hear, we remember 30% of what we see, 50% of what we hear and see, which is why we put notes in your hands and the things that I say we put on the screen behind us. You're going to remember just a little bit more listening and seeing than you will if you just listen and or see. We remember 70% of what we discuss 
80% of what we experience and 90% of what we teach. So when we talk about small groups in our church, here's what we're saying. You're going to learn more and remember more of what you learn in a small group environment than you are on Sunday morning. Because on Sunday morning, you might remember 20% of what you hear. If you take really good notes, you might remember half. But if you go to a small group on a Sunday night, a Monday night, a Tuesday night, a men's group on a Thursday morning, a ladies' group on a Wednesday morning, and you actually begin to reason, talk, dialogue, ask questions, have questions answered, all of a sudden, 70% of what you take in, you're going to remember. And one of the things we're most excited about is this fall, we'll have 34 small groups at our church. We're hoping by the time we move into a building, possibly in the fall of next year, that we'll go from having 34 small groups to 68 small groups. We're hoping we're double. Here's what I'm most excited about. Those 34 new teachers are going to learn more than everyone else in our church because the people actually leading, they learn and remember the best and the most, just according to what psychologists tell us about how we remember. So I want to tell you, if you're not in a small group yet, you've got to entertain that if you want to develop spiritually and like the Apostle Paul, get on your ministry feet. You say, I'm uncomfortable in small groups. That's why we've got this test drive event. Just try it once. Try it once. And we're not saying if you don't like it, never come back. We're saying try it once. And if you have more questions, let us answer your questions and find a perfect fit for you because we believe you are better spiritually with others. We believe you're going to learn more. We believe you're going to remember more. We believe you're going to develop faster in a group than you will alone. The reality of our growth and our impact and more leaders needed is that we need more people to learn and develop and grow so we can reach more people who need to learn, develop, and grow. And this is what was happening in Corinth. Number three, in Corinth, the apostle Paul was reaching people far from God. So he needed help to to reach and lead and teach and explain to people far from God. You heard Jamie mention our mission statement. We exist to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. In Corinth, Paul was reaching people who knew nothing about God. And what we see about their spiritual development gives us, gives us both a pathway for our spiritual development and a challenge for our spiritual development. Look at Acts 18, verses 6 through 8, and then we'll jump over to verse 11. So he left the synagogue. It says, when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest, and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue. And he went next door. Synagogue would have been where the religious people came. He said, I'm not going to go where the religious people are anymore. He went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God, just some Gentile Greek-speaking guy who had a big house that people could gather in. And he said he went there and he started teaching people. Crispus, the synagogue leader, verse 8, and his entire household believed in the Lord. Many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Look at verse 11. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Now, according to verse 8, many of the Corinthians became Christians. Now, Corinth was the Las Vegas of its day on steroids. Corinth was the most corrupt town in Rome, and Rome was a pretty corrupt place, and Corinth was the place where people got away to do the unspeakable. I mean, what happened in Corinth right? Like stayed in Corinth. You, Corinth was a place, according to scripture, to Corinthianize, there's actually a term in ancient Greek, not biblical Greek, but ancient Greek, called to Corinthianize, and to Corinthianize meant to live in absolute debauchery and whoredom. That's what it meant to Corinthianize. That's what they did in Corinth. 
Corinth was a town that nobody lived in. Corinth was a shipping town. And it was on a port. I don't know if you've seen Pirates of the Caribbean and the opening scenes where the pirates were kind of littered all over town and it was just filled basically with brothels and bars. But this was Corinth. Corinth was a shipping town. No one lived there permanently. Everyone passed through there. And when they would pass through there, they could do the unspeakable in their day or week or month there because nobody was going to find out because no one from their home was there and no one really cared. The thing that Corinth was known for the most was a temple that stood on top of an agora that was 1,500 feet up and 1,500 temple prostitutes, basically prostitution was the main industry of Corinth, would come down every evening at dark. The prostitutes would come down from the temple and anyone wanting to connect with the God of Corinth would connect through one of these prostitutes, whether they wanted safety on their next journey, whether they wanted blessing in their merchandising that they were trying to sell there. I mean, Corinth was, Corinth was a nasty place. Corinth was a sinful place. Corinth was not a place where there were a lot of Christians running around handing out Bible tracts. And Paul starts telling these folks in Corinth about Jesus. And it said, a lot of these Corinthians to Corinthianize, to live in absolute debauchery and whoredom, a lot of these Corinthians started following Jesus. And it says because of that, that Paul spent 18 months there telling the Corinthians about Jesus and teaching them to live for him. And if we read the scripture, he taught almost every day. So he had like a daily Bible class for a year and a half to reach these people who came to Corinth to do and who were doing God knows what before they stumbled into his Bible study and met Jesus. That's why the, the study of the church in Corinth and then the books of First and Second Corinthians are so unbelievable because of the background of where Corinth was. But what we learn through this text that I want to lean into a little bit this morning is this. People far from God, number four. People far from God that give their heart to Jesus, they need more than church service to give their lives to Jesus. I want you to really see how I said what you just wrote down. People far from God that give their heart to Jesus need more than coming to church and hearing sermons to give their lives to Jesus. Let me, let me say that again in case you missed it. There were some people in Corinth, according to the Apostle Paul, who made a decision to ask Jesus to forgive them of their sin, to ask Jesus to be their Savior, to ask Jesus to kind of deal with them spiritually, but nothing in their life changed. According to Paul, they gave their hearts to Jesus. They became Christians, but they would not give anything in their life to Jesus. And there are some people in this room and in every church across America today who are in this position. At some point in their life, they have given their heart to Jesus, but they have kept their life for themselves. And the Apostle Paul, as he began to lean into trying to lead these people, several years later, he would write to them and say, this isn't good enough, and you need to start growing spiritually. Now, we learn from, obviously, the book of Acts. We learn just from watching what happens in our own community, church services and sermons. Man, they're a great catalyst for your faith. But they can't be the backbone of your faith. Like if the only thing you ever do spiritually is come sit and listen to a message that you're going to forget 80% of what you actually hear unless you take really good notes, and then you'll just forget half of what you hear. If this is your plan to connect to Jesus, it's not a very good plan. And when we, when we read the book of Acts and then we look at 1 Corinthians, we see this was not enough for people. 
Because three to five years after Paul left Corinth, he wrote a letter to the church to encourage them to finally start living for Jesus. There was a gap between giving their heart to Jesus and giving their life to Jesus. They gave their heart to Jesus. And then they did whatever they wanted on Friday and Saturday night. They, they gave their heart to Jesus. Then they still operated financially the way that they had always operated financially. They gave their heart to Jesus, but then they chose not to forgive people who had hurt them. They gave the, their heart to Jesus, but they never give their language and their habits to Jesus. And Paul said three to five years later, reflecting on it, guys, it's time to grow up. If you have your Bible, I want you to flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 because I want to show you what the Apostle Paul wrote. Corinthians is the book immediately following Romans, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. So you're going to flip about two books over to your right. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you're brand new and like you just got handed a Bible, just keep flipping to the right and the little words on the top of the page will eventually say 1 Corinthians. There'll be a big black 3. That means chapter 3 somewhere within the text. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. Some of you are following along on your phones and tablets. Just dial up 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But three to five years after Paul left Corinth, Someone came from the church and he said, how's the church going? And they told him how the people were living and he was like, oh gosh. So he wrote him a letter. And I don't want to say he told him off, but he was kind of strong, he was, he was direct with them. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1, he said, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. Let's stop right there. In the New King James Version, Paul writes, brothers and sisters, I can't address you as spiritual people. Can you imagine as the pastor of this church if I got up in front of you on a Sunday morning, so listen, I need to teach you something. And I know you're not spiritual, but I need to teach you something. How hard would that be for the pastor to say and how offensive would that be for the congregation to hear? But here's a church planner, three and a half, four and a half years in, who's looking at his church and saying, I'd like to, I'd like to talk to you like spiritual people, but you're not spiritual people. Ouch. Brothers and sisters, I can't address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. He said, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. And indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not being mere human beings? What after all is Apollos? He was a great teacher. What is Paul? He was a great prophet. He said, we're only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed of Paulus water, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And they'll each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service, but you are God's field. You are God's building. Paul said, listen, God wants to grow you, but you are so hung up on things of the world that you have lost sight of God, you have your focus on worldly things, and man, you gave your heart to Jesus three years ago, five years ago, but you're still not spiritual. Paul said, you're acting like spiritual babies. Man, I'll tell you, a baby when it is born, I was talking to some of our new grandparents this morning uh, in our church, a baby when it is born is adorable. But when you've got a 15-year-old grandkid that's acting like a baby or a 15-year-old son or daughter who's acting like a baby, that's annoying. You know, a, a baby's cute, but if at three or four or five years old, you take your, you take your five-year-old into the doctor and still weighs nine pounds, the doctor would say, something is wrong in this child's development. And we have a lot of Christians who are birthed. They become spiritual infants. 
And three years later, five years later, seven years later, 10 years later, they still look like a little spiritual baby in the way they live their life. And Paul said, that, that's not right. Paul said, I gave you milk when you were a baby because that's what you needed. He said, you should be eating steak by now. And instead, you're, you're still feeding off a bottle and sucking a pacifier. We gotta get beyond that. He calls them brothers and sisters. He uses the word infants in Christ. These are terms reserved in the New Testament for Christians who had given their heart to Jesus. Because a lot of people read 1 Corinthians and say, well, how do you know these people really got saved? Because of the terminology Paul used. Paul never called people who weren't Christians brothers and sisters, and he told them they were in Christ. This is not people who came to church but never gave their hearts to Jesus. These are people who, they, they raised their hand, they checked a card, they walked an aisle, they, they may have even got baptized. Like, these people gave their hearts to Jesus. They were Christians. They just didn't give their lives to Jesus. He said, you're worldly. This is a term reserved for people who lived like they did not have the Spirit of God in their lives. And Danielle and I sat down with one of our college students who's been a leader for us all summer who's getting ready to go back to college. And we told him, you cannot live. We talked about Thursday night. Thursday night is the fraternity sorority scene at their school. And we said, you cannot live this year like you lived last year because your life is developing spiritually. Can't go backwards. Christians don't do that. And we started talking through scenarios that as a Christian, we're worldly, you can't do anymore. But so many Christians want Jesus to just kind of push them in a stroller their whole life. They never want to get up on their own feet and start living for Jesus. And Paul said, you can't do that. The church at Corinth needed to grow up spiritually, according to Paul. And they needed to get beyond the milk of infant Christianity. That's the title of today's message, More Than Milk. Paul said, you have got to get beyond the milk of Christianity. You've got to grow up and start living for Jesus. You say, well, Christian, how do we do that? The same way the Apostle Paul did it. If you could look at Acts chapter 18, we see in Acts chapter 18, 10 and 11, what I call the super secret. It's not super secret. But we see this message given to Paul in a vision that holds the key to spiritual development and spiritual living. It was given to Paul in a vision, in a dream he had at night, when Paul was wondering, can I keep going on? God came to Paul and said, yes, you can, but here's how you keep going on. And the message that Jesus gave to Paul is the same message we need to hear today if we want to live for Jesus. Flip back to Acts chapter 18 now. Forgive me for making you turn so much. That's why these strings are in your Bible. If you have strings, you can mark one place and just flip back there quickly. In Acts chapter 18, verses 10 and verses 9 and 10, I'm sorry. In Acts 18, 9 and 10, we see the key. It's not a secret, but it's given to Paul in a vision to give to us. It says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. And he said, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in the city. What is the super secret message of growing up spiritually? What is the key of not just giving your heart to Jesus, but your life to Jesus? Jesus gave it to Paul here in Corinth in two phrases. He said, Paul, keep living for me. Two reasons. Number one, I am with you. Jesus is with you. How do we develop spiritually? Number one, we spend time with Jesus. Jesus told Paul, you are gonna be able to do this because I'm with you. We're gonna spend time together. I'm gonna be with you every day. 
Now we know according to scripture that Jesus is available to spend time with all of us every day. But a lot of us have not yet made time in our schedule to spend time with Jesus on a consistent basis yet. In Hebrews 5, 13 and 14, here's what the author of Hebrews says about people who want to finally grow up spiritually. It says, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, isn't acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, what, of teaching, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So you say, I, I want to give my life to Jesus, not just my heart. I want to start living for Jesus. How do I do that? You got to start spending time with Jesus. How do I do that? You start every day spending time in God's word. This summer, just as, as kind of an off the top of my head idea, I thought I'm going to give our church what I call a summer spiritual growth plan. Many people say, okay, I'll spend time with Jesus, but I don't know how show me. So I gave the first three weeks of the summer a summer spiritual growth plan and told everyone what to read every day. Told everyone what to pray every day. Give everyone some verses to memorize. And I can't tell you the dozens and dozens of people who tell me now, I keep that sheet of paper in my Bible and I've been reading my Bible every day for the first time in my life because you told me what to read. I thought, that's awesome. And as we begin developing that, I thought I need to do the same thing if I want people to follow Jesus past Labor Day. So inside your bulletin today, you're gonna see our 2015 fall spiritual growth plan. A spiritual plan for you every day from Labor Day to New Year's Day. Every day from Labor Day to New Year's Day is on here. All you got to do is follow and check it off. A chance for you to open the Word of God and spend time in God's Word, learning about the teaching of Christianity, learning about the teaching of God, learning about the men and women of God, so you can walk with God, so we can get off the bottle of milk, and finally get a steak knife out and start ordering filet. Some of you are on another kind of bottle and we can pray for you and talk about that later, but we're talking about milk specifically here in this context. This is, this is like a Lunchable, right? I mean, this, this, is not, this is not fine dining spiritually, but this will start cutting your teeth spiritually. So I want to challenge you. Say, Christian, I'm, I'm sick of having a life where I've given my heart to Jesus, but not my life to Jesus. You got to start spending time with Jesus. This will take less than five minutes a day but will allow you to carve out some time where God can speak into your life every day. So carry this with you. It doesn't start till Labor Day. Some of you maybe lost the summer spiritual growth plan or you didn't get all the way through. That's on the next steps table. The summer spiritual growth plan is there. You can get it and read through it still before the end of Labor Day really, really easily. But if you want to begin to develop spiritually, you have to spend time with Jesus. God told Paul when he was wondering, can I keep on living for Jesus? He said, I'm going to be with you. I'm with you every day. And if you'll be with me every day and I'll be with you every day, we're going to be able to do this. But then he said something else to Paul. He told Paul, I'm with you. And he said, my people are with you. So if we want to develop spiritually, we have to spend time with Jesus. But number two, we have to spend time with Jesus' people. It's just the way it works. So that's not for me. It doesn't matter. You don't get to create the plan. If you want to develop and grow spiritually, you've got to spend time with Jesus, but you have to spend time with Jesus' people. You've got to connect to a person, a group of people, a small group. We have 34. And if, and if you're someone who's given your heart to Jesus, but not your life to Jesus, I'm telling you, your next step is to get in a group. Now, I've been preaching this for four years, and it still doesn't hit a lot of people, but we've heard a lot of reasons why people cannot do this, and people who have stepped beyond the excuse or expl explanation, 
They said, I'm going to follow Jesus' plan even though it's hard. We've seen lives radically change. We've put together a little video with some people in our church. Some of the excuses of why people said, no, I'm not going to a group. And then what happened when they finally said yes? And I want you to reflect on this for two reasons. One, I want you to look for your excuse or explanation and realize we've heard it. Jesus knows it, but he's telling you your way to growth is to connect with Jesus and people anyway. And two, so maybe you could see that the risk will be worth the reward. Check out this short video clip of some of our folks and I'll come finish up. You heard how many people laughed on that prayer one. Number one reason people don't want to go to small groups. They're afraid they're going to be asked to pray. So we've said, listen, you can learn to pray in a small group or Christian can make you pray at the end of the service in a microphone in front of everyone. So I would challenge you, <laughs> go to a small group before I start calling on you because I, I know a lot of you by name. Listen to me, the closer you want to walk with Jesus, the more you desire to experience God in your life, the more time you have to put in, the more sacrifices you have to make, the more out of your comfort zone you have to get. But you've got to ask this question, how long? How long are you going to wait between giving your heart to Jesus and letting that be enough and catching 20% of what you hear and learn spiritually and just sitting in church on Sunday morning and letting this be the backbone of your faith realizing you're never really going to be strong spiritually. How long will you wait? Three years, five years? Paul wrote to Corinth several times and he kept saying, you've got to get engaged spiritually. I believe this season in our church as we move into the fall is time for you and me and us to get beyond the milk. You know, I'd like to quit milking the cow to feed our people and I'd like to kill one so that we can, you know, fry it up. And if you're a vegetarian, why? You know, I mean, I, I don't understand why you would do that. And if you really are and I've just offended you, I'm sorry. And I'll think about you while I'm eating a steak tonight for dinner. Um, but we want to quit milking the cow. We want to kill it. We want to serve it, right? We want to get to the point at our church where we come and learn and leave so nourished spiritually that we feel connected to Jesus and his people in a way that allows us to live for him every day, just like Paul did in the city of Corinth. Let's pray together.